Welcome to Chapter 10 of The Tales of Romantic Magic. I'm Woo the Bard, and today we're spinning some yarns and finishing out this weekend's celebration of the autumnal equinox in the Northern Hemisphere. In case you missed it, we re-released last week's Elemental Guided Meditation as a special standalone episode. So give it a download and go on a journey. We'd be happy to have you along. The wizard and I marked yesterday's equinox with a trip to the woodland. Next to the Wise One's kingdom, we've unearthed the most Artarium lore there, and it's probably the smallest of the places we've investigated. I think the roar that echoes through the place has something to do with it, sort of like a built-in Zamgrata on an endless loop. There are spots where the noise dies back, far to the south where the quiet ones find their rest beside the great moon altar but mostly you are immersed in it. On this precipice of the seasons, we'd come to visit and pay homage to Rutka, the one who dwells below. As it always seems to, the woodland was early putting on new clothes for autumn. Orange and red leaves decorated our meeting place on the bridge. Golden light filtered in through the canopy. The sun still had the edges of late summer, but I could feel the softening soon to come. The autumnal equinox is best known as the time of harvest, but in ritual we replace physical crops being pulled from the ground with reflection on the progress, lessons, and development of the past season, the ups and the downs. We lay out these gifts to dry, taking stock of all the bounty that is available to us as we prepare to transition into the solitary time of winter, the period of going within. In that harvest, we will undoubtedly find a few rotten things, inedible, best composted. These are the things we must cast off to prepare to take a truer path through the season ahead. We are nearing the end of the first season of Romantic Magic. We've covered some of the basics of our art and practice, introduced ourselves, and set a bit of the scene. We've also learned many lessons and started to piece together improvements for season two. We've spent a great deal of time discussing how to move forward with the show, how to share our art with the world, and how to set up our shop in the best way to welcome in a community. Should we reveal what dwells in the shadows just outside most people's awareness? Or see how long we can stick it out in the light? Are we being honest with ourselves and our practice? As we walked through the woods, we looked back on those discussions with a renewed sense of resolve not only to even more doggedly pursue the quest of sharing our work and shop with the world, but to cast off the rotten bits we'd begun to find. The self-doubt, the intense introspection, the overthinking and resulting anxiety, the fear of being caught out. It was time to put those languishing fruits to bed. Time to restore the balance, as the equinox does day and night. Time to lighten our load, our new leaves turning in time with the trees all around us, welcoming fall with a gift, an offering, to our dear friend Rutga. Which reminds me, we haven't yet told you his story. We met Rutga in one of the long-lost tales of Artarium that we discovered in the woodland. He was born of the account of a brother and sister, both Magos, traveling magicians, whose life work was riding the rails of Artarium in their laboratory on wheels. 
conjuring, divining, alchemizing. They never seem to stop working, bursts of flame blinking out of the little train car's windows long into the night as the engine sped on through the dark. But there came a tumultuous time for the magical pair. The occasional tense moment of sibling rivalry turned into weeks of seemingly endless arguments, finding fault in each other's ideas, questioning the other's calculations, and bristling over the slightest miscommunication. Each was, to a degree, wrapped up in his or her own ego, but each was also victim to fears, worries, and troubles that seemed to chase each other like the mystical Ouroboros. As they fought, their laboratory began to erode around them. Magical tools sat unused and fell into disrepair. Perfectly good solutions were left to spoil. Dust collected on the black looking glass. One day, Conductor Jenkins came to call. He adjusted the lapel of his deep gold suit and took his snakeskin hat in his hands. His tall figure was stooped and his cocoa brow furrowed. The other magos had been complaining, he said. The usually sharp pale blue of his gaze softened with regret. Even over the rumble of the wheels, the siblings' fights had been overheard in the neighboring cars. And since their laboratory no longer seemed to be in use, the conductor said, it was time for the pair to move on and let another mago get to work. They were left at the next station with a few small boxes of supplies and their bindles. They stowed the lot and climbed a nearby berm to get a view of the tracks. Before them spread out an amazing view. They'd been offloaded just before the great curving trestle bridge spanning the Root River as it snakes its way through Shrive's Glen. The two would hold their breath as their little car loomed over the chasm, sometimes gazing out the windows at the soaring guards wearing gold and sky blue, other times hanging out over the railing to see the waters of the route rushing by. That day, however, the train had left them. They sat in stunned and embarrassed silence as the sleek engine began slowly chugging on, pulling their empty car away across the bridge. Never had they thought their disagreements would lose them their spot on their beloved train. It hadn't been the best car, what with the paint peeling and all but one window stuck shut, but it was where they'd built their foundation, gotten their heads around the idea, and done some really beautiful magic. Until their self-centeredness had jeopardized the whole dream. But the good thing about Magos is that they're rarely licked for long, especially not when the trains are running on schedule. The engine had picked up steam, sending the train rumbling around the bend in the bridge, sending showers of rocks and other debris cascading into the river below. The two magicians turned to look at one another. They wrote that in their shared vision they saw themselves tossing stones from the moving cars as the train passed over the trestle. Each stone represented something bigger, a piece of the ego being cast off, a bad habit or excess of self-doubt getting in the way of amazing discoveries. On a regular round trip, the train would pass over the route every three months or so. They would make it an experiment, play with all the variables, 
see if it worked as a ritual, and in the process they would mend their rift and set themselves on a better path. They would need a new car, though. The old one had simply been the starter set. They would appeal to the conductor, perhaps see if he'd be interested in an enchanted chain for his pocket watch. They'd always wanted to try out the car with the spotlight on top. The others called it Lovacara, but the siblings had another name in mind. But even the sparkliest chain wouldn't convince Jenkins if the ritual wasn't top-notch. The first step was finding someone to make the offering to, a friend in arms, but set apart somewhat from their reality. They'd heard tales of creatures living under bridges, setting up camp and collecting treasures dropped there either by the river or passers-by. The two peered down into the waters of the route and the shadows tucked up under the trestle bridge. Who might dwell there? As night fell, the pair toted their cardboard cartons down to the river's edge. Under the young waxing moon, they summoned the one who would collect up their offerings and aid in their transformation. The heated river water over a small campfire built on the double X's of Serignus. The autumn breezes were beginning to blow there too, bringing in the sweet smell of decay. Into the water they sprinkled the dark soil of the riverbank, what would become their new friend's home. They'd brought down a handful of stones as well. While crystals might be few and far between, the trademark matte black, iron-rich chunks of ballast found all along their beloved tracks would do just fine. The dark surface was perfect for etching words and sigils, and they'd never find themselves without a piece on hand. They each dropped a black stone into the brass carafe of river water. The great being stepped out of the portal and onto the riverbank with a thud, sending a rumble through the canyon. The sibling's eyes widened, and the elder brother tucked his sister behind him. The massive entity looked around him and shook himself, the deafening clatter of metal echoing deep into the valley. But he didn't charge them, rather set to tidying the space beneath the bridge, sweeping out the shadows and preparing himself a home. The magicians named him Rutga, after the river whose waters ushered him in. I'll give you a better description before today's Zimgrata, but for now, bear in mind that some call him a troll, which is right up our alley. But there's a certain amount of gallantry and quiet conviction about him, almost like a knight. When the train returned, the pair made their case to Conductor Jenkins, who knew that the two sorcerers had great things in store for Artarium if they could just get their cards in order. The sparkly baubles they made for his watch didn't hurt either. He granted them prime real estate on the Windermere Express, the black and white car with the spotlight perched atop it. As the train's siren sang out again over the Root River Bridge, the pair leaned against the railing and tossed a black stone into the water, etched with the sigil of their sacrifice, the shadowy shortcoming that nearly cost them everything. Over time, it became common practice among the Magos of Artarium to drop ballast stones for Rutga as they passed over on the journey, letting go of that which no longer served them, preparing for a clearer, more mindful season ahead. 
Below the trestle now rise great stone stacks dozens of feet high. For a long while, he tucked them away, built up the shoreline, made himself a sitting area. But as generation upon generation of magos left their offerings, Rutka began making art instead, a reminder of the beauty inherent in darkness, in ego, in humanity. Today we honor this same Mago tradition at the four corners of the year, the solstices and equinoxes, where the days and nights find balance, the elements all shine, and we welcome in a fresh season with open arms. Even when we can't visit the root ourselves, we're never far from a bridge or the spirit of Rutga. Just as those two great magicians did before us, so we too called him forth on this autumnal equinox with a reading and an offering. From Mwanda's deck I drew Preteris, the great shield of the emperor. Protection, foundation, perseverance and determination. From the tarot emerged the Ten of Cups, the Eight of Wands, and the Ace of Swords. The creators of the light and shadow deck we use call the Ten of Cups the card of home, both for your tribe and your dreams, a place of refuge and kinship, perhaps representative of the woodland itself or our shop. The Eight of Wands calls us to rest and reflect on our direction, the very essence of the equinox. It encourages us to examine all the options. The way will open for us. Finally, the Ace of Swords speaks of endings and beginnings. It aids us in cutting away worn-out ideas and slicing to the heart of the matter. The book even mentions a brilliant use of words and cutting-edge visions. No more fitting suggestions for a bard and a wizard. It sounds like we may be going to war soon, but thankfully with a new strategy in hand and Rutga's shield of protection surrounding us. No more hesitation, no more fear. The wizard leaned against the bridge's wooden railing and tossed the chunk of ballast, which we lovingly refer to as hematite, into the air. We need a code word and a symbol, he said as he caught the stone with ease. Something that reminds us to stop giving our egos so much self-doubt to snack on. They're chunky enough as it is. Right, I said, scribbling down the geomancy reading, which reminded us yet again that we need to be firing on all cylinders. If we want to share the art and story of Artarium, maybe even help some people, we can't very well be afraid of what they'll think of us. The wizard looked out over the winding stream, patches of fading sunlight glimmering on the water. We need to glass away, he said resolutely. Look ahead to the next adventure, knowing just what we have to offer. Keep finding ways to share it, but no longer allow fear to shape those ideas. I penned the letters into my notebook. G-L-A-S-S-A-W-A-Y. Glass away. I scratched through the duplicates and traced out the codex sigils for G, L, A, S, W, and Y. I handed the book to Lapura. A moment later, he presented me with the sigil that would represent this moment of transition. The autumnal equinox, our pact with Rutga, our promise to ourselves for the season ahead. 
a truer course, closer to the calling of our deeper selves. We made the offering to Rutga at the woodland, just as our fellow Magos did before us as they rode high over the Root River trestle. And now we will commence preparing for the coming season. Next week will be the final episode of season one of Romantic Magic, which means it's time to close out our chapters on the Wise One and his kingdom of Farsity and take stock of where we're headed in season two. We have new projects in the works that are sure to take us deep into the sewers and high into the stars, so please stay tuned for those after the break. Now, as we ease into this week's Umgrata, I'd like to share a little more about Rutga as we've experienced him in ritual and through a recent armor session. Slip on your headphones and enjoy a soundscape inspired by the great collector of Artarium, Rutga. When he steps from the shadows, it is hard to know just where to look. Up, up, up from the gaze of man, Rutga's face looms at least 30 feet in the air. His dark eyes are set in shadow, despite an unearthly halo glowing eerily around his head. His skin is steel gray, and seems to shift in and out of view, his massive body at times appearing like rock and in other moments near ether. Covering most of his body is an intimidating but perplexing suit of armor made entirely of trash, abandoned cans, bolts for buttons, what looks to be dozens of snapped timing belts knotted around his waist. A hematite amulet hangs around his neck, crudely carved with tiny sigils and blessings. His left hand is closed tight in a fist, perhaps hiding a secret object. To his right wrist is attached a chain with a large rock at the end, but he has no trouble hauling it from place to place, murmuring soft words to the rock as if it is a companion, not a punishment. His whispers travel up and through the slats of the bridge, echoing strangely off the girders and embankments, quickening the steps of any unaware adventurers who happen to be passing over. All around him stand tall piles of stones bearing great magic, alchemy in the form of ballast, gifts for the legendary collector of Artarium. Perhaps it is time you made your pact with Rutga, what do you have that needs cutting away? What is holding you back? Now is the time to take stock, to pluck the rotten fruit from the stores, to start this new season with eyes wide and mind open. Tuck away under the bridge with us as we welcome in fall alongside our friend Rutga. He'll be ready whenever the stone leaves your hand. Cast on, adventurers. Adventurers.